1: Sometimes you want other people to be the best version of themselves, not for you. And so they get mad at you and they think you're a dick or whatever. But it's because you want them to be the better version of themselves for themselves. And so that's a hard part. That's a hard thing to figure out. Like You can't go to somebody and be like, No, quit being an idiot because you're making excuses because I love you. Like, that's a weird position to be in. So I, I, I'd i say it's something along those lines. There's a
2: difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher.
0: Thanks all for tuning in to Dream Catchers, where we make things happen. Dream Catchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready?
2: Hey everybody and welcome to the Dreamcatchers Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got the pleasure of having Damon Burton with me today.
1: Damon, how are things out in Utah, right? Yeah, Utah. Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jerome. Um, yeah, no no highlights today. I got nothing for you. It's gray and cloudy. <laughs> are you you're right in Salt Lake or just outside, right? I'm like 20 minutes outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one big urban sprawl though. So you can go like an hour south and an hour north and it's like, it just doesn't stop.
2: Perfect, man. So I want to ask about skiing at some point, but before I go, <laughs> I haven't skied in like four years. I'm getting an itch. Um, how can the listeners get in contact with you? Cause they're going to love what you have to share today.
1: <laughs> well, um, the, why don't I give like the 10 second explanation and of who I am? And then maybe that'll entice them to follow more and then we'll get into the bigger story. So, um, I'm Damon Burton. I founded an SEO company, a search engine marketing company, 14 years ago. Um, Big on entrepreneur kind of thing. I'm sure we'll get into that. So if you want to follow my entrepreneur journey, I blog on DamonBurton.com. And then if you're into SEO, um, FreeSEOBook.com. I got a big 135 page book on there where you can learn about SEO. How's that? That's
2: phenomenal. I'm actually going through the book because I'm super intrigued on SEO and pay traffic and just traffic in general right now. And it's a good read, guys. So definitely go grab it and check it out. All right. So you already told them a little bit about yourself. But before you started this company 14 years ago, what were you doing?
1: Um, I was the, the job I had immediately before I started my agency um, was in web design. And then before web design. So I got into what? Why don't we go like way back, way back, way back? Because it kind of like goes... Each chapter contributes to the next chapter. So um, when I was like, you know, like a kid, I didn't have, I I grew up kind of, uh, we were certainly not privileged. It wasn't like a big sob story though, but you know, I couldn't, we didn't have a computer and we didn't have, you know, all the things that I got to experience were mostly if I went with my friends, families. And so, when I was in junior high i I kind of fell in love with just the computers because it you know you always want what you can't have, and so I knew I didn't have it at home, so I embraced it when I was at school. so little things like typing class, I was all about typing class, and so i was what's funny is last week um I'm mentoring my wife's nephew and he was over, and I was helping him with a website. And he's like, how fast can you type? And I was like, I don't know. Let's go look. And so we were doing like a typing, one of those online typing tests last week. So that was fun though, because when I was in junior high, I would do the typing classes. And then in high school, I went and did like typing speed competition tests, like all this nerdy stuff. And then um, when I got into uh high school they had, this was before commercial web design builder. So before WordPress, before Dreamweaver. And so I had to learn HTML by hand. And that was awesome because now when we work on websites, so I have a team of 20, I'm not doing the website so much myself anymore. But when we have to go work with these programs, like WordPress doesn't know if a website looks ugly. Dreamweaver doesn't know if a website looks ugly. So it was really valuable for me to understand manual HTML so I can go in and override those things now. So that's kind of like an example of how each little thing contributed to the next thing. And so after that, I got out of, um, went out of high school and, and went to college for a year or two. I studied psychology and sociology, just did generals cause I didn't know, but I think that's like a big part of why I've been able to accomplish certain things is because I was okay with that unknown. Like I was, I was comfortable being willing to figure it out as I went, not, not as I went, but figured out later, uh, instead of prematurely committing to a decision and then regretting it later. So I just kind of, the the way I describe it is I, I kind of dated my careers and dated my choices where I would go on one date with one career and I would take away what I liked and didn't like about it. So my first job, I was a janitor at a junior high when I was 16. So like a perfect example of how I took away something from that, you know, 20, whatever years later is every time I go and put a grocery or a, a garbage bag in my kitchen, even to this day, I can like, Flip the bag a certain way and tie a knot and poke a hole in it so the air pressure comes out of it that I took away from when I was like 16 as a janitor. So I still I would just take away these little things from every little thing. And of course I didn't love every job, but I didn't hate it. I would, you know, my job after that, I just worked at Michael's Arts and Crafts. I just worked as a at a general retail store. But I took the opportunity to learn what I could there. I got promoted to um, an assistant manager. And then from there, I, I moved down to um, downtown Salt Lake. So I, I did a downtown downtown for a while. I uh, went to college. Um, and that's kind of where my career unofficially started because I took a, a class on communications. And part of the communications, um, the, the test that semester was, okay, you have to build a website. And it has to have these certain requirements. And I got to thinking, if I'm going to spend this much time on this like semester project and they're going to delete it at the end of the year, why don't I buy my own domain and build the website there and keep it after school? And so I asked the teacher, I said, can I build this on a domain instead of the school server and keep it? And he said, yeah, as long as we can view it and grade it, we'll just grade it all the same. So I built this website called eliterides.com. Um, I, I still have the domain, but there's nothing there. It's archived now. Uh, because I, in my early 20s, I was a big car enthusiast. So I built this this online community of cars. Um, it started getting a lot of visitors, and then I said, "How do I make this better?" That's when I got more into design, like officially started kind of diving into it. And I said, "How do I monetize this?" Then I got into marketing, and then I did it on the side for a couple of years. Then I got a job, and now I'm fast forwarding through this. And so I just worked on this over the years until I I finally took the leap of faith, which maybe I'll take a. Time out there, and and let you jump in before I talk about how I decided to take the leap of faith. But that's kind of the crash course background.
2: Okay, and so it's interesting you call it dating. When did you actually get married?
1: Uh, I've been married for 14 years.
2: No, no. Well, yeah, that part—the actual marriage. But you said you were dating your careers.
1: But oh, funny. dating my career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's so when I when I married my career was um, I took kind of kind of in between my when i started my company and where i left off explaining my journey is i had another job where um i worked for this really successful gentleman um but it was a really toxic environment he was he was doing like 1.2 million dollars a month and i was making like 12 15 an hour and the 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 pay gap wasn't my concern because at the time i you know i was early 20s and i paid my bills and i was happy but it was the the environment that he fostered with that, like when he would go to pay bonuses, he was put out about it and he just made everybody feel really ungrateful. And I was his only full-time employee at the time. And he, it was him, me and a part-time secretary. And he's doing like over a million a month and he's put out about everything. And so I kind of, a lot of times I'll get asked who I've learned from or what my mentors were. And mine's kind of the opposite. I don't really have like a positive mentor, but I took, I took away positive reflections from negative environments and so with that guy i said okay this is how you don't treat your employees and even how he would treat his wife and they're now divorced and um so i was like okay this is how you don't treat your family this is how you don't treat your wife and so i'd take away those positive same thing i would date the job and take away what i learned from the relationship so after that i had one last job before i started my agency Um, there was a gentleman in las vegas that heard i had quit that other guy and i at the time i was doing affiliate marketing landing page design so i was kind of in a a niche designer and he said i need somebody that does specifically what you do do you want to move to vegas and i said i don't want to move to vegas i you know I, i i just got married at the time actually married and i knew we'd have kids down the road and i just didn't want to live in vegas and so i he said all right well you can work from home and we'll revisit it later i took that as an opportunity to get their responsibilities done in the morning and then work on my side hustle in between in the even earlier in the mornings or in the afternoons so my wife at the time would she worked at a hospital and so she'd get up at three o'clock and I'd have to be to work at four so being a remote employee i was like well why don't i get up at three o'clock then and and i would do my thing for a couple hours then work on the vegas company stuff for a couple hours knock it out early then work on my stuff um you know until whenever 10 o'clock midnight, sometimes because I was 20 and had the energy. (laughs) And so I did that for a long time. And then when I married my career was when I said, when I realized I was spending 80% of my time on the day job, but it was only producing about 50% of my income. So then I said, okay, well, you know, kids are on the horizon, um, family, this, that, but right now I only have a mortgage and a car payment. And if I can quit the day job, but still pay my bills with the side hustle, it'd suck to lose that 50% of my income from the day job, but I could free up 80% of my time and then do my own thing and, and then figure it out from there. And so that's when I took the calculated risk. I figured that's as good as a calculated risk as I'm going to get. And so then I went all in for, you know, registered a business entity and did the EIN and all that. And then, um, so that was in 2007 and never went back to the day job world. And, and, um, it only took me about two months to replace that income because it freed up so much of my time. And so after that, it just, um, I guess you'd say the rest is history.
2: So this is why I wanted to get you on because you're the first person I've talked to who's been able to basically match their salary or their daytime income with their side hustle before they actually move out. Usually what I see is people are able to do a quarter, maybe 35%, but you actually were getting 50-50 there. And so what was it about what you were doing that made it so lucrative where you could do it in less
1: time? At the time, I was doing something pretty different than what I do now. So I was mostly doing the affiliate marketing landing page design. And then maybe we can get into how I transitioned into SEO. But at the time, I had a really good track record of of working with kind of the behind the scenes, I guess you'd say like whales of affiliate marketing. So if you get into affiliate marketing you know that it's performance-based compensation so you want landing pages that convert well at the time we were doing like email buys what's called negative options and so i i was doing a lot of stuff that you kind of laugh about or hate like i would do the the designs for the government grant emails and the work from home emails and all the stuff that you get spam about and the the stuff that i created converted really well and and so i was able to charge a premium for it Uh, even even nowadays i still look back and think how fortunate i was to charge back then so what i would charge is i charged 2500 bucks for um a landing page and a thank you page and a matching set of banners and that was it and i mean i could crank that out in a day or two so i only needed I mean, one thing we we probably have to add an asterisk to is that it's not like I was making a ton of money back then. So it, it, I don't want to discredit the fact that I was able to replace my income, but we're only talking 28,000 bucks, you know? And so I was at the time, it was like when I started, I was making about 28,000 bucks from the day job and then 26,000 bucks from the side hustle. So I was making 52 and change, something like that. So I could still pay a car payment and a basic mortgage at the time off of 30 grand. So to do 2500 bucks um you know in one landing page I would only need to do like two of those a month or one every you know two every 6 weeks or something like that. So I was just able to really find like unique opportunity at, at the moment and I think some of that was luck and timing but everything after that was very strategic so i don't know if that answers it a little bit of luck and timing and having a unique skill set
2: it does and you know the majority of people i talk to they are struggling with this conundrum of leaving a six figure income to go do their thing that they're more passionate about or excited about and so when you move to that level of income it it makes it a little harder to replace in a fraction of the time but what you did say that i thought was really interesting was hey i got up at three worked until whenever the day job started and then after the day job was over sometimes i worked till 10 o'clock or midnight and that was pre-kids of course but still the amount of time that you were putting into the side hustle was part of the reason why you were able to do what you were able to do. Now, in the side hustle, it seems like you were able to create a pretty strong reputation for yourself. And I guess that was just based on the results that you delivered. Was there anything else? Like, How would you get Matrix and networked into the places where people were willing to drop $2,500 on a two-page website?
1: I stayed in my lane and just focused on that type of design. And that's largely to the credit of of what I've done now with the agency in the SEO world is I just stayed in my lane of SEO. So I just built up a reputation for having high converting landing pages that were very specific to email opt-ins. And so I never got into doing other long form landing pages that might've been better for you know paid ads or different types of different types of um, inbound traffic. And so I was just the guy that could do I knew what landing pages converted and I could build a design. I, I could build a set of ad creatives, the banners and email designs that would go with it. And I could just deliver a whole package within a couple of days. So it was a very simple product. It was nothing complicated. It was, it was just the fact that I had a clear product that I could provide.
2: Got it. Compelling offer. Can't say no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and you know like you're talking about the the hours in the day thing you said pre-kid and those kind of go together because um i put in the hours because i knew that in the future i'd have kids and i didn't want to have to grind it out when i did have kids i wanted to have the more flexibility literally 30 seconds before you and i jumped on this morning like me and my kid were um hanging out in in the in the room in their game room playing with some of the stuff they got for christmas you know we're recording this shortly after christmas And so, um, those are the things that I wanted is to be able to just do those random 30 minute hour things at at any given time. And when we get off, I'll go upstairs and I'll have breakfast with everybody and uh, they'll probably want to play Mario Kart for a minute. And so I'll go play Mario Kart for a minute. But those, you saying those two things, they actually go hand in hand pretty substantially because I wanted to be able to put in the time then so I could kind of buy that freedom later.
2: Lifestyle by design, for sure. So, all right, you move over into the SEO world. Who showed up to help you? Because those are two very different things, right? You got kind of email traffic to a page to sell something versus somebody searching and then they get to a page and eventually you sell them something, but to I think very different approaches to get into conversion.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm all self-taught. So the way that I kind of transitioned was, I had the design, I had the experience in landing page design, which is relatively similar to traditional web page design. So I actually started doing traditional websites for a while, and, and so I started to find um, a market for just kind of affordable web design. And then where I got into SEO is I had a client who's still a client today, 14 years later, where he said, Hey, um, tell me about, what do you know about Google? And I said, well, I know enough that I'm willing to try and see what we can accomplish, but I don't know enough that I feel confident charging you for it. And so I've always been very transparent about what my value is. So I said, how about I do, but, but at the same time, I didn't want to work for free. So I said, how about we mutually agree on these goals? Don't pay me anything unless we hit them that way they're not taking any risk, but at least I'm incentivized. And so we said, if I hit the goals, you owe me retroactively. And we start a retainer after that. So I was able to hit that SEO goal within like six weeks. And then, um, the, this was, you know, a lot different than SEO is nowadays. It takes a little bit more time, but I was able to hit that goal pretty quickly and I enjoyed the process. So I, I had been, acclimated and made aware of SEO just because it runs parallel to web design. So that's how I knew enough to kind of experiment. So after that, I said, well, I enjoyed that process. Why don't I see if I can bring this to a second client? So I brought that to another design client who's also still a client 14 years later. And I said, Hey, here's what we just did for these other guys. They had actually referred each other as design clients. So they knew who they were. So I said, Hey, we just accomplished this for these guys. Do you want to do the same arrangement? And they said, yeah, blew those guys up, had great success. And so uh, after that second client, I said, I really enjoyed this process. SEO is my thing. And so I, I dove into it more at that point. I never wanted to be the agency that says we do it all and is mediocre at all of it. And so I just stuck with SEO and and grew that skill set over the years. And like I said, at the beginning of the chat, I have a team of 20 and, and that's all we do. Still SEO. So
2: when you say seo are you just writing content are you designing a web page like what
1: does seo mean in your world so the seo would i would define it as an ongoing process so there's kind of two phases and then they have tons of subsets of those phases but largely you can condense seo into what you do on your website and what you do externally to your website So when we launch a campaign, there's a whole bunch of stuff that starts out the gates. The first two things are the structure improvement. So does it load quickly? Is it mobile friendly? Can Google find what it needs to find? Understand why you're an authority at what you offer, what you sell. And then when that starts, then we also dig into the competitive analysis, the keyword research, the traditional stuff. But where we kind of focus on that I think is a little bit different than a lot of other agencies is we focus on the buyer intent. So instead of doing... We've all seen those garbage SEO articles where it's just keyword, keyword, keyword. So instead of doing that, we really focus on value-based content that answers consumers' questions. So we spend a lot of time going, okay, what what type of content would solve a problem of the ideal buyer? So we bring them in. And then after that, it gets into a recurring process. Uh, Content, content repurposing, building external credibility... Uh, you mentioned web design, depending on the client. Yeah, we do a lot of design. I have three full-time designers. And so we don't, like I said, we stay in the SEO lane. So if you go anywhere on my website, any of my stuff I put out on social media, I'm never talking that we do design, but it just comes with the territory. Cause I want to stay focused on presenting the image that we just were the SEO group, but we do a lot of design that comes with it.
2: Okay. And so for a client that comes in, like the seo is google being able to search the text in the web page and then you said the structure as well so you've got the different headings right
1: this is simplistic way yeah yeah so uh, you, you know you're laughing and i'm laughing because i can tell based on the type of question the the general understanding of seo because when you talk about heading tags like that's just it's not as valuable as it used to be. And it's like one of a thousand things. So a really good way to simplify SEO is that there's no one magic things. It's not your title tag, not your image. alts, it's not only backlinks, it's not keyword stuffing. Like it's, there's no one magic thing. It's thousands of little things that you have to balance and do really well and really effectively. Whoa.
2: Okay. And so how does somebody know
1: if they have good SEO? The, one of the, th- first things I always tell people to ask if, if they're shopping on SEO is just ask the company what they're going to do for you. Like, what are you going to provide? What type of, um, you know, obviously you want to see the results that they provide, but what type of fulfillment are they going to do? And anytime you see somebody start replying with, well, vague answers or, "Oh, it's proprietary proprietary is like the worst word you can hear with SEO because we all use the same 10 or 20 tools. It's just who knows how to use them most effectively or in a unique way. So the, the chances of somebody actually having a proprietary tool are, are next to none. So that's one huge red flag is proprietary. Um, another one is if they, th- this actually sounds a little opposite, but if they offer guarantees, like that sounds nice, but that's actually a red flag. The reason why is because SEO is such a dynamic moving thing that there's no way that you can definitively put a timestamp on we're going to be here in one month, two months, three months. Now, what you want to hear is speaking on averages. You want to say, well, usually we move this far in a quarter. You see this type of progress. You see this general percentage of growth. But if they're doing any sort of guarantee where they say, I guarantee you'll be on page one within 30 days, then they're probably not doing SEO. They might just be fooling you with their words. And they're really going to do paid ads. Um, and there's nothing wrong with paid ads, but it's not SEO. And so just look look for transparency. Transparency is the best thing you could ask for in an SEO because it's such a long, ongoing process that a lot of people take it. A lot of the shady SEOs take advantage of the mysticism of it and, and sell that smoke and mirrors. And that's what you want to avoid. You want somebody that will bring transparent answers on whatever their strategy is. Okay.
2: And so... What are you measuring? Like, what are some KPIs, you know, key performance indicators that you look at to say, hey, we earned our fee this month?
1: Obviously, you look at sales, but the thing with SEO, especially if it's a newer business, newer website, you you don't get sales until you get traffic and you don't get traffic until you get to page one. So what you have to measure is you kind of run what I call a pre SEO ranking report. So we go okay, what are our targets? We go through this whole process of keyword analysis and looking at competition and going okay, here's some potential keywords, now let's quantify them and qualify them because you want keywords that you don't want to, you don't just want the bragging rights to say look, I'm on page 1 for this really obscure word that nobody searches. You want to be able to be on page 1 for words you can monetize. So first you go through this whole process of discovering, okay, what words can I monetize? Then after you identify those targets, then you run that pre-SEO report and you go, okay, here's where I currently stand. I'm on page 10 or I'm not found at all. And then that's where you measure the initial progress. So each month you go, okay, we went from page 10 to seven. You're still not gonna have any traffic because nobody goes past page one. But then you go, okay, then those ones went from page seven to four, and then some new ones jumped onto page nine and then page four went to page two, and then eventually get to page one. When you start being able to gauge rankings from a page one position, then you can look at traffic. Then you can start comparing that traffic against conversions. So first you look, you usually look at rankings unless they already have historical traffic. And then after that, you can look at um, you know sales and conversions.
2: What's up, Tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Got it. (laughs) There's there's a method to the madness. Um, So you said that you just kind of experimented when you first got into it. And you said, hey, look, I don't want to work for free. So back in incentives to do this work, you get it done, and you said that you're self-taught. So I am, anytime somebody's self-taught, I imagine they go through the school of hard knocks, and they realize by something going wrong that they didn't know what they didn't know. I assume that that happened for you, but you may be the, the chosen one and got everything the first
1: a little bit of both. I, you know, I certainly had things I learned, but I think where I'm a little bit different. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm the chosen one, but I think I was a little more proactive than other people might be. Where, look, as entrepreneurs, we all want to increase our prices, right? We all want to increase revenue. But I had a moral dilemma where I wanted to make sure I, I felt confident in the value I was delivering. So just like where I said, "Hey, well, I'm going to do this for, you know, generally free." hypothetically free until we reached these goals that way I was incentivized so I wasn't really doing it for free as long as I could deliver and so I kind of always had that that thought process so when we went when when I first started the agency we were we were certainly the cheaper option we were 300 bucks a month and then if I kind of took a if I looked back in time at where our price point changes were, I'd say we went 300 750. 1,000, 1250, 1500, 2000, 2500, 3000. And so our average now is about 3000 a month. And then we have some that are higher or lower, but um, our average is definitely around 3000 range. So as I went through each of those phases, it was okay, I don't want to just charge more, but what what better value could we bring? What more could we do for our clients in the scope of SEO? What could increase their traffic more effectively or more consistently? So then one example would be at the beginning, it was largely a one-man show. And so I couldn't do all the content writing. And so as we started to grow, I said, okay, Mr. Client, Mrs. Client, content's important. I'm going to give you the blueprint, You know, write about these things. And that never happened because of course they're business owners. And so then I had to say, okay, Mr. And Mrs. Client, you're clearly busy, which is understandable, but we still need the content. So I will write about it, but you need to tell me what to write about because you're the subject matter experts that never happened either. So then that's kind of when the increases started where I said, okay, that's a value we can bring. Let's start doing the content and we need to do the content anyways, because it's negatively impacting our progress because the client's not doing it. And so that's when i said okay here's a clear value it's a tangible before and after so we can raise our price based on that so i i always looked at the opportunity of um what can i learn more what skill can we improve what can we diversify but still within the scope of seo i don't want to start offering social media i don't want to start offering ppc so what can we do to stay in our lane of seo so i did that um and i think that helped prevent a lot of the hard knocks because usually the hard knocks are, are when you overpromise and under deliver and so we didn't have that um because of, of we were always a little sensitive to making sure we brought the value for the client first i like it most people
2: will say yeah I'll, i can do it and then they go f- try to figure
1: figure it out yeah the whole the whole approach with um you know click funnels and click funnels is great and has its has its purpose but that mentality mentality has always been really bizarre to me um And I've only really felt comfortable recently in feeling comfortable that that's bizarre to me. So what I mean by that is before I, it was such a hype thing and it still is a hype thing that for a while I started to question, should I be doing that? Because I don't feel like I should be doing that. That makes me uncomfortable, but everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is saying, you know, qualify the market, figure out the demand and then build a product. But then that means you're not an expert at it. And then you're just going to be delivering a product based on, you know, something you're not passionate about or something you don't have a uh, consistent experience in. And so there was a while where I was really confused about that approach. Um, I felt like I was missing an opportunity, but now I, uh, I'm glad I didn't get into it. And I'm, because a lot of those guys, it's just not sustainable because it's turn and burn and they're just looking for the opportunity, which I can respect them looking for the opportunity, but I don't know, I guess I, I don't know. <laughs> I think you do. Yeah. You, you have
2: high value on actually being an expert and delivering what you promise and fulfillment's is the big thing, right? I think a lot of people in the space of selling stuff online don't really care about fulfillment. They care about getting to the transaction, especially if you're on front end with marketing. And so, but you being somebody who's, you got 14 year clients, if I understood that correctly, at least more than you got two of them, at least. Um, you don't get that type of recurring partnership if you're not somebody who delivers impeccably against the promises that you make. So I think you, you do know, and it's working well for you.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's a huge part of, of the company's success. What's ironic for owning a marketing agency is we don't do any marketing of our own. So we'll do, we'll obviously do some SEO, but, other than that we don't do any paid ads um, you know all of our clients come from referrals or social proof and and so both of those kind of support what you're just talking about is just bringing value and making sure you're clear on on your message and product and i can give some like tangible examples of why it pays off now a lot of people understandably will say well that's not scalable well yes and no it's it's not scalable in the sense that like with paid ads it's a dollar in 2 dollars out it's not directly quantifiable like that i agree with that but where it is scalable, it's like dollar in, nothing out, dollar in, nothing out, dollar in, 5,000 out. And so there's more of a wild card. And some examples that I can give are, uh, you know, we worked with the NBA team, the Utah Jazz, the retail division team store to sell more hats and jerseys and merchandise. That came from a referral. The guy that referred that came from a referral. And then that guy came from social proof. So like that was kind of backwards. Now I'll tell the story forwards. So what happened was, I, when I get on LinkedIn, Facebook, and I share whatever my posts and content are, I never send anybody to a landing page. I never send them to an opt-in. I never send them to a funnel. What I do is I say, here's the answer to your problem. The end. I'm never trying to hook them into something. What I'm doing is I'm building social proof and I'm building trust in the subconscious relationship with the audience. So then what happens is this is what happened in this case, and it's happened several times since is a gentleman reaches out and says, Hey, we're looking for SEO. I saw something you posted. Can we meet up? They happen to be local. Most of my clients are not local. Most of my clients have never met. And so I went and had a meeting with these guys. And when I left, the gentleman called me later that day and said, Hey, thanks for, thanks for coming to the meeting. You know, what's interesting about meeting with you is that it's not too often that you don't leave a marketing meeting more confused. He goes, you came in and didn't sell us at all. You educated us. He said here, not only are here the pros of SEO, but here are the cons. And so I go in and I educate on the process because as I go through that, it's going to make a better client anyway. And it also helps pre-qualify them because if they're wanting unrealistic goals and I tell them the cons, then that's going to repel them from the type of... It's going to push away the client that I don't want anyway. But then if they're still with me after that, then they're a better client now because they're educated on the process. So he ends up signing up uh, within 2 weeks he says, Hey, I want to introduce you to my neighbor. He's working for this big law firm out in Vegas. Um, so I met with that guy, signed them on. So now within two weeks from one post on LinkedIn, I have two clients. So after working with that second client for one week, he says, Hey, I want to introduce you to the Utah jazz. And so of course, I said, yeah. And I was excited. But I was like, who, who the hell is this guy? Like, This guy is just a guy that's working at a law firm. Well, come to find out, he was like the guy. He was the exiting vice president of their retail division. And so they were restructuring things. And as, as part of his um, exit strategy, it was like, okay, I'm going to bring in who's going to be doing this type of marketing, this type of marketing, and then SEO. And so all of those, you couldn't have... I, I couldn't have spent a million bucks on postcards, paid ads, anything to try and get that type of client. And I got, I got millions of other stories like that, where I could pinpoint probably nine out of 10 of all of our clients back to a specific post or a specific introduction from a referral. And that's what you build. And that's why it is scalable. It's slower, but it's still lucrative. It's still scalable. And for me, it's a lot more ethical I'm not worried about sleeping at night because of having to scramble to figure out my product now that I've got enough buyers that bought into it before I had the product. So it's it's um it, it's a rewarding kind of approach because then above and beyond the business benefits, you you build a lot of unique relationships too that well, just like you and I, Jerome, you know, you and I met through a referral. So you end up it's for me, it's not only about business but there's like a personal side to it as well
2: without question and so what's most interesting about what you just said is you've got this massive following on LinkedIn like 20,000 plus
1: or something crazy what did you do to build such a big following that's um that's actually been an interesting journey and and I'm only 2 years into it so I've been able to build up that following in just 2 years so about 2 years ago um I actually deleted all my social media because I wasn't really using it in a way that I, I liked using it. I I used it the same as most other people do where LinkedIn, it was just gathering dust. I never posted, I never posted on LinkedIn. I just had had a profile. And then on Facebook, it was your usual thing where it's like friends and family and drama. And so um, when I say I deleted it, I legit deleted it. I had my wife spent way more time than I did, she was kind enough to go through and manually delete every single comment, every single post, manually unfriend every single person and truly undo the whole thing. And so that was November two years ago. So almost exactly two years ago. And then after a couple of weeks, I, I got thinking, I was like, well, well, why can't I use it in a way that I enjoy using in a, in a, and in a way that's productive? And why can't I figure out the balance of sharing the business things and entrepreneur things that I like to share? But still maintain that personal side on Facebook, but the professional side on LinkedIn, but a, but a little blend of both on both sides, a little bit of personality on LinkedIn with the professional, a little professional blended on the personal Facebook side. And so it took a little bit of trial and error of figuring out what my voice is and what I'm comfortable sharing and what resonates with the audience. But I just started sharing my stories. and And like I said earlier, giving away free advice, but it was tangible advice. It wasn't Hey, I just ranked somebody. Drop a comment below if I can send you the case study. It was just like, here's the results and here's the steps that I did to accomplish it. The end. And then I'd share stories about, um, you know, something about my wife and kids or something about teaching my son a life lesson. So that way, it's personal but business. And so I just started being more vulnerable and and just at all costs avoiding the pukey sales pitch. And it works. sounds counterintuitive, but it works a lot better in attracting sales than doing the direct sales pitch. Okay.
2: And so I, I skipped over something that I think is pretty important and I want to go back to it. And that's what I call the red pill moment. And so this is when you decided that you had to keep going, right? You realized that this was it. You had something special and you wanted to grow it out completely. Do you remember when that happened for you?
1: Um, I probably have a couple, one that comes to mind that I gloss over a lot, but is a pretty big, cause it just opens so many more conversations. So the first one, the first one was a story about the Vegas company. And then the second one was, um, reading some books. So the first story with the Vegas company was, uh, when I, when I never went back to corporate world day job, wasn't entirely because i quit it was because they got raided by the ftc (laughs) so the guy that was running the company he was in trouble from some previous things and um, it caught up with him at the other and this was a big company too and so you know what happened was i uh, was trying to get a hold of the vegas team and i wasn't getting any responses like most of us back then were on aol instant messenger and so I wasn't getting any replies. And so I started calling the office and the office number, nobody was answering. And then all of a sudden I get a message from, they had some overseas designers and one of them messaged me and said, Hey, sir, did you hear? And I said, did I hear what, what is going on? I can't get hold of anybody. And he said, they're raided by the FTC. So the reason why they're rated is because I, I mentioned negative option and what negative option means is like when you get those emails, that says, try this thing for free, just pay shipping. So the negative option is you pay the five bucks, the 10 bucks, whatever shipping. And if you don't, if you don't cancel within two weeks, 30 days, whatever their terms are, then they're just going to proactively bill you. So you have to negatively, you know, you have to decline it as an option. So that's why it's called negative option. So he got in trouble for not properly disclosing the terms on the negative option, and that guy's now serving one of like the top five or ten longest white collar prison sentences ever. So when you look at that, and the guy before him that I mentioned was really toxic i I never wanted to fully go into that world. I could see all the money in it that was obviously attractive, but I just never felt comfortable diving into that and so that was the first point where I said, okay. You know, the side hustle is is a cleaner approach to building a business, something that's sustainable, something that I feel more comfortable about, about, something that I can sleep at night, something I don't have to fear. So that was the first moment. Now that's when I started the company. Then the second moment when I said, Hey, I got something here, was a couple of years into it. I had maybe like two virtual assistants. And at the time I was listening to two audiobooks. I was listening to E-Myth Revisited and I was listening to Four Hour Work Week. And so what I took away from those was four-hour workweek was obviously like, hey, here's how you kind of cut corners without losing productivity. And then EmIth revisited was build your company dependent on processes and not employees. And so what I'd recommend listeners, if they listen to those two books, listen to EMITH first because it's going to tell you how to figure out your processes. And four-hour work week is going to tell you how to hack them. But you don't want to hack y- your time until you figure out what your processes are to begin with. So that was kind of the second moment where I said, I have something here that I can scale. And within a a month or two of that, I went from two or three employees to 10. And and so I just started delegating a lot more and went through the process of documenting processes.
2: Whoa, guys, hit rewind and get all of that because that's the difference between struggling to pay your bills and being free. Major, Damon, thanks for dropping that. What is the biggest difference in the way that you look at life today versus when you had your job and
1: it's been really interesting understanding or or better perceiving the difference in just like you said you know go back and re-listen so you can see see the freedom that's available and the i always hate cliche sayings it just they always make me cringe but there's so much truth to a lot of them and like one of them is about having an abundance mindset it, it, for, for, I don't know if it's luck or genetics or what, but I've never been fearful of figuring out what my share of the pie is. I, I didn't know what the, what the pie was. I didn't know I'd be doing SEO, but like I said earlier, I would, I was comfortable dating my jobs until I figure out which one I was going to marry. But as I've gone through that process and looked back and, and so for me, whenever there's like a problem or a place I want to be, I, I don't go, oh, that would be nice, or I wish. What I do is, is I go, okay, there's where I want to be and here's where I'm at now. Like what are the steps in between and then reverse engineer it and then go. And what I've realized in looking back is it's unique to see how how other people don't have that position. They don't look at things that way. And to be honest, it's frustrating. Because like, you know, you and I talk, we talk to the people that have introduced us, Justin and other people and everyone else that's in in our little world is the same way. It's like, well, there's the thing, that's the thing I want to do. So I just go. And so that's been an interesting position to be in, to, to try and be more empathetic to that and figure out different ways to encourage people. Because before I wasn't, I wasn't the type that would be like, you're an idiot, just do it. But I was certainly, you know, maybe just remove the "you're an idiot" part, and I would—I was certainly the just do it guy. And so I've—it's been interesting to kind of try to better understand the other side. Um, and I was actually thinking about it this morning. I—the uh, guy that introduced us, Justin, he gets this a lot and talks about this a lot, where people think he's arrogant and cocky, and he's like, "It's not arrogance at all. It's just confidence." And I think I was thinking about that this morning that. Sometimes you want other people to be the best version of themselves, not for you. And so they get mad at you and they think you're a dick or whatever. But it's because you want them to be the better version of themselves for themselves. And so that's a hard part. That's a hard thing to figure out. Like You can't go to somebody and be like, no, quit being an idiot because you're making excuses because I love you. Like that's a weird position to be in. So I, I, I'd i say it's something along those lines.
2: Yeah, I, with the coaching clients I have, that happens from time to time where I want the thing for them more than they want the thing that they say they want. And I remember early on when I was working with folks who had less resources that I would just keep going. It's like, come on. It's like you're dragging them towards the thing. It was like, but that they, they wanted it. And now I've realized that, if they don't want to, then you kind of have to shrug and say, okay, um, when you get ready, let me know and and we'll revisit it, but I can't help you right now. And I I don't want to take your money anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So
2: we got three questions left and these are the ones that most people pausing like i don't know if i've ever thought about that before but you're super introspective so i suspect that you're gonna have some really good answers for these the first one is what dream are you most focused on catching next
1: uh deciding if i want to remove myself for the company or sell the company that's a huge decision wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i got i got you know i got three kids and um, i spend a lot of time with him more than probably, you know, a lot of other entrepreneurs or, or busy business people, but I want to spend more while they're still young. My oldest, he'll be 10 in two weeks. And so um, I just want more time with him while I, while I have it because I can't, you know, if I sell the business of five or 10 years, like that time's gone.
2: What gift are you giving the world, Damon?
1: I'm a, I'm a random act of kindness giver. I was telling you just before we got on. Uh, so my thing with when I give back is, I've, I've, i i I want to know there's a direct impact, and so the problem that I have in giving back is that I don't know where that gift went all the time, especially with charities and there's nothing wrong with charities, but they're just not my thing because I don't know where the money goes, and a lot of times it goes to administrative costs and not actually to the cause and so i I just i I date my giving until I figure out which one i want to <laughs> which one I want to marry so like a couple of years ago, um you know I grew up. When I was younger, I grew up, like I said, um, somewhat less fortunate. And so I did you know, school assistant lunches and free lunches and things like that. So a couple of years ago, um, I had an assistant call all the Title I schools in my county. So Title I schools are low-income schools. And I had her ask them what the lunch debt was on each school. And so I just tallied it all together and it was like 2000 bucks and I just paid off the whole county school because of their lunch debt, because that I knew how to direct impact and I knew where my money went and I knew where my time went. So like, that's one thing. And then, um, uh, Christmas, Christmas Eve, it was actually Christmas Eve. So just a couple of days ago we were sitting hanging out and I've been, I've been wanting to do something that would be powerful for somebody. But again, I didn't know what. And so I, I just kind of am okay figuring it out and waiting until that right moment presents itself. I got thinking about it and I, I told my wife, I said, if, why don't we order DoorDash? Let me get a coffee for tomorrow, not for tonight, cause it's like seven o'clock at night. Um, order coffee, we'll get something to munch on for tonight, but mostly just so we can gift somebody something. Cause I said, if somebody's working on Christmas Eve, it's, it's for a reason. It's not, it's, it's highly unlikely that it's going to be just, the 20 year old that just wants money and that they're certainly out there, but I was thinking, you know, there's probably a parent that's doing this because they need money. So we, we ordered DoorDash and in the notes, I said, knock, so I can give you a tip. And the lady didn't knock. And my next thing I know is I get the confirmation that DoorDash has been delivered. So I hurried and text the message back, knowing that DoorDash would communicate it to the, the deliverer. And I said, wait, get up here. And so right when I sent that, I opened the door and she gets out laughing and she's like, did you just send that to get up here? And I said, yeah, come here. I want to give you a tip. And she goes, oh, thanks. And so this was on top of the tip that you do in the app. So she walked up and I had her first name from the app, but I said, what's your last name? So she gives me her last name and I said, here's a hundred bucks. And I just wrote her checks for a hundred bucks. And she just sat there and like kind of paused awkwardly. And I didn't know like you could tell it was one of those things where she was grateful but she didn't she was caught off guard and in the days since she's been texting me and saying thank you for making a positive impact on my life thank you for showing me that there's you know positivity out there but that night right after she said you know because of your generosity I get to go home now and spend time with my three kids and I told her she kept telling me thanks and I said well no thank you because you know, that's why I did it. I was hoping, you know, the stars aligned because I wanted to impact the parent. I wanted to help somebody that was working and grinding for a reason and it ended up being the best thing. And so she's been, you know, it, it's almost a week later and she's still texting me every day, the little things about her family, she's sending pictures of her kids. So I, I look for those random acts of kindness. Beautiful, beautiful.
2: Good heart there, Damon. And the final question is, what's the one thing you want people to take away from our talk?
1: Uh, be uncomfortable with, or be uncomfortable, be comfortable with the unknown. Do, do your dating, whatever it is, whether it's your career, your hobby, if it really is dating, don't prematurely commit kind of the last example I'll give is, is, um, my wife's niece made a post the other day saying that people are giving a hard time because, um, she's considering changing why she's going to college because she realizes she's no longer passionate about why she's going to college. And uh, she says that she was nervous and this and that. And I said, well, the only thing that would be worse than finishing it is finishing it and and having regret. And so I think regret comes a lot with premature decisions. So be okay with delayed gratification and date whatever it is you need to date. (laughs) Until you decide that
2: you want it. Man, this has been phenomenal, man. Damon, I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and sharing the world of SEO and being uncomfortable or being comfortable with the unknown. <laughs> you did it too. Yeah, man. he got me. But um, th- this has been a great episode. I really appreciate what you share with us because, I mean, for me... I've been super curious about SEO and how to drive traffic. And to see you go from landing page to full site design to SEO site design, it shows a progression and a hierarchy of what I think is pretty complex. and it, I saw you move to things that you didn't completely agree with, but you were good at to things that are totally aligned with your values and then being able to monetize that, which I think a lot of people fear that they're not able to do. They fear that they're not able to live out their state of values and make money instead of uh, instead they choose one or the other. And you're a living example of the ability to do both. So I'm super grateful for you for that.
1: Yeah, I'm glad we got introduced and I appreciate
2: the opportunity to chat. Yeah, man. So Guys, glad you made it to the end of the episode. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon.
0: Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.